This morning's scripture reading will be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is heaven worth? What would you be willing to do? To what lengths would you be willing to go in order to attain it? That's an interesting question, and I will admit that at first it might sound just a little bit silly because I'm sure that there's not a single person in this room that would not say heaven is worth everything and I'll do whatever it takes in order to be there. But when we really stop for a moment and think about the daily application, the logistics, if you will, of the question and the answer, then maybe the question becomes just a little bit more challenging. Just by way of a few examples, would you be willing to give up some friendships or have some family members turn their back on you because you are... Uh, you realize that being a faithful child of God is the most important thing. Is heaven worth that much? Would you be willing to make a little bit less money just to be able to ensure that you would be able to uh, worship and serve God? Is heaven worth that much? Would you be willing to sacrifice and maybe endure a little ridicule because you dress modestly, you put attendance at Worship services above recreational activities, is heaven worth that much? Would you be willing to maybe stay away from a movie that you really wanted to see or change the radio station when a very popular song that doesn't glorify God or things that are godly comes on? Is heaven worth that much? You see, what we're really asking, and I think what God is really asking is this. Is heaven worth enduring some inconveniences in life? Is heaven worth enduring some trial? Is heaven worth suffering just a little bit? What is heaven worth? We're turning our attention this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1, the section that was read so well for us just a moment ago. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 all the way down through verse number 9. Last week, you remember, we studied 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, and in that section of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us about our hope of heaven. 
He tells us about how our hope is real, that it's living, that it's based upon the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He talks about the fact that our hope is not going anywhere, that it is reserved in heaven for us, that it is an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that doesn't fade away. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, that our hope of heaven is everything. But now, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, as he builds on this idea of our hope of heaven, he begins to introduce really what is the main idea of the entire book, and that is this. How can a Christian glorify God through suffering? How can a Christian glorify God through trial, through these difficulties and inconveniences of life? And we all know what they're all about. Everything from being persecuted for righteousness' sake, to use the language of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and following, to dealing with things that test and try our faith, like health difficulties or financial problems or whatever the case may be. How are we to glorify God and how are we to be faithful to God when we're dealing with all of those kinds of things. That's what 1 Peter is largely about. And Peter introduces that for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. But I want us to notice this morning as we work through this section, that as Peter begins verse number 6, what he wants us to understand is this. Even though we suffer, even though we struggle, even though life is not always easy, our hope of heaven gives us a great reason to rejoice and to endure it faithfully and to endure it patiently. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9 again, and then we'll notice how this section breaks down and make application. Peter says, in this, that is, in your hope of heaven, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be or if necessary, that's the idea, you've been grieved with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing... You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's notice together in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9, first of all, Peter describes our attitude towards suffering. Our attitude towards suffering. That's 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6, there are three things that Peter highlights that describe the Christian's attitude towards suffering. Number one, he says, trial is unavoidable. It is not a question of if, it's simply a question of when. You'll notice in 1 Peter 1 verse number 6 that Peter uses this small little phrase in the New King James Version. It says in the middle of the verse, if need be. But really the idea of if need be is it's necessary. Later on in this book, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12, Peter will say this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened unto you. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
Remember the words of Paul in Acts 14, 22, we must through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Appointed to what? We were appointed to affliction. We were appointed to difficulty. You may remember that Jesus would say in John chapter 3, as he talked about himself being the light of the world, he would talk about the fact that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because the light exposes the darkness for what it is. The light exposes evil for what it is. And Jesus would say again to his uh, disciples on a number of occasions, if the world hates you, and it will, then don't be surprised because it hated me before it hated you. Peter is not giving some new revelation in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter is simply repeating by inspiration what he heard from the mouth of our Lord on more than one occasion. And that is that trial and difficulty and suffering and all of those things that, that are part of life and part of the Christian life in particular, that they are absolutely unavoidable. The second thing Peter tells us, though, in 1 Peter 1, verse number 6, is that it's short-lived. Notice he says, you are grieved for how long? Look at the middle of the verse. You're grieved for a little while. What does he mean, a little while? Well, he's talking about in comparison to eternity. In other words, in comparison with forever, the difficulty that happens right now, even though it may seem to be this massive, life-changing, earth-shattering, monumental event that is going to absolutely shake the foundations of our lives for the rest of our lives, and maybe that's the case. But it doesn't matter how big it seems here on earth in comparison with eternity, it's nothing. So Peter would go on to say, don't sacrifice eternal pain for temporary pleasure. Suffering is temporary. Look at the third thing he tells us about it in verse 6, and here's where the application comes in. He also tells us that it is overshadowed by joy. Difficulty is unavoidable, but difficulty is temporary, and most importantly, difficulty is overshadowed by joy. He says in the beginning of the verse, in this you greatly rejoice. In what? In our hope of heaven, in our faith, and in our knowledge of the fact that this life that we see around us, that's not all that there is, that there's something better to come, in, re in realization of the fact that God has said, be faithful unto death and I'll grant you a crown of righteousness. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10, in this Peter says, you rejoice a little bit. No, you greatly rejoice. You rejoice in a way that is overwhelming, that your cup is overflowing. Hannah said this in 1 Samuel 2, verse number 2, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. And listen to this, I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Hannah had enemies, there's no question about that. Go read the first chapter of 1 Samuel and you'll notice that the enemies that Hannah had were actually closer than anyone, many of our enemies are in, in the sense of location. And yet Hannah says, it doesn't matter to me, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I can look at all of that and I can just smile. We can sing songs like, there's a land that is fairer than day and by faith we can see it afar. We can sing, tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. Farther along, we'll know all about it. And the reason that we can sing that, Peter says, is because in this, in your hope, in the reality of 
heaven, you greatly rejoice. Even though now, if necessary, he says, it is necessary, you're grieved by various trials, different kinds of trials, in this hope, in this reality of what waits us, you rejoice, and that rejoicing overshadows whatever it is that you might be dealing with at the time. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, Peter talks about the value of suffering. There's our attitude towards it in verse 6. There's the value of it in verse 7. You know, there's something in verse 6 that um, maybe brings up a question. Peter uses this phrase or this terminology, it's necessary. And so he's saying, listen, your suffering that you're dealing with now, it is a needed component. It is a necessary component. What? What do you mean suffering is necessary? What do you mean suffering is needed? I thought we served a good God and a holy God and a God of love. Tell me, Peter, why it's the case that we can serve a God who loves and cares and wants the best for us, but then at the same time, the Holy Spirit can inspire you to say that suffering is necessary. Help me to bring those two things together and harmonize them. How does that work? Peter says, thank you very much. I'd be glad to do that. Listen to what he says in verse number 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested with fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are two things in this verse that we need to notice. Number one, suffering refines and strengthens our faith. Suffering refines and strengthens our faith. You'll notice that Peter uses the image of gold that is tried or tested by fire. And the, uh, the practice that he is alluding to is the idea of taking gold or precious metal and putting it into the fire. And listen, the fire does not destroy the gold. The fire does not destroy the precious metal. What the fire does is it removes the impurities from it. It purifies it and it cleanses it. So just as gold is purified by fire, so our faith is purified through testing. That's the idea of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6. And again, this isn't anything new. We read about this all throughout God's word. You remember Job, the man who lost everything except for his life? What did Job say in Job 23, verse number 10? He said this, But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Paul said in Romans 5, verse 3 and 4, as he reflected on the exact same thing that Peter is discussing in 1 Peter chapter 1, he said this, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Romans 5, verse 3 and 4, James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or testing or trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What what does Peter want us to understand in Job and Paul and James and so many other writers of Scripture? What does God want us to understand? What he wants us to understand is that trial is not a bad thing. Because as painful and difficult as it may be, as emotional and and testing and, and taxing as it may be, it actually strengthens us. It actually helps us. And notice the second thing of verse 7. A genuine faith, a tested faith, a perfected faith, it is more valuable than gold. Peter says, 1 Peter 1 verse 7, notice, it is much more precious than gold that perishes, 
Why is our genuine faith, our tested faith, our persevered faith, why is, it, why is it more valuable than gold? Or why is it really more valuable than anything that exists in this material world? The reason is because it points to the future. 1 John 5 and verse number 4, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And our faith that is the victory that overcomes the world is that which is going to carry us safely on into eternity. I want you to notice that Peter uses a phrase at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1 verse number 7. He talks about this. He says that it may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This phrase may be found. It is terminology that points to the future. Peter is talking about the second coming of our Lord. He is talking about the time in which we will realize the hope that we have. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Remember, he says that we are uh, kept by faith, by the power of God, through salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. What's he talking about when he says our salvation is going to be revealed at the last time? He's talking about that time in which the Lord will return in which the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise and we'll all be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? When we are able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into that rest that's been prepared for you from eternity. That's what Peter is talking about in verse 5 and then he's talking about it again in verse number 7 because he says your faith, while it's tested here on earth, it's going to grow and it's going to become stronger and stronger and it is that faith that is going to be found It is that faith that is pointing you forward into the future, into the time which the Lord will return and you'll be able to go on and live with him in heaven for eternity. Notice he uses these descriptors at the bottom of the verse. He talks about praise and honor and glory. Highlight those three words and summarize them with the word reward or with the word blessing or with the word rest, with the word heaven. The value of trial, the value of suffering, verse number 7, is that it helps us to grow stronger and prepares us to be with God forever. Now look at verse 8. Verse 8 is the solution to suffering. Notice that Peter ends verse number 7 by a mention of Jesus And speaking of Jesus Christ, verse number 8, he says, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. There are several things in this passage. Number one, it's interesting to note, I think, that the Christians to whom Peter was writing were just like us, in that they had never actually laid their eyes on Jesus Christ. They never actually seen him. That's what he says. Though you have you haven't seen him, and yet, even though they hadn't seen him, even though they hadn't actually laid their eyes on him, they still what? They believed in him. They obeyed him. They trusted him and they followed him and they recognized, again, verse three to five, what? That he lives. First Peter one, verse three, that our hope of heaven is based on the fact that he lives, 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5. Though you haven't seen him, you believe him, and you love him. And I want you to notice with me that Peter uses these action words, if you will. He says, you love him, and he says, you don't see him, yet believing, you rejoice. I want you to look at the word love, and the word believe, and the word rejoice, and I want you to notice with me that all three of these words, the grammar 
indicates that these are, this is ongoing action. In other words, you haven't seen him, but your love for him, it's a thing that just keeps going. And though you haven't seen him, your faith in him, it just keeps going and growing. And though you haven't seen him, you're, uh, you're rejoicing in him and because of him. Something that just keeps going on and on and on. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are not focused on the hardship. They're focused on the blessings. It's all about perspective. They recognize, they recognize the reality of suffering, verse 6. They recognize the blessing of suffering, verse number 7. And they also know the solution, verse number 8. And the solution is to do exactly what Peter says they're doing. Don't focus on the hardship. Focus on the blessing. Focus on the growing love and growing faith and growing rejoicing. And Peter will put this another way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. He will say, but grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, he's talking about spiritual growth. The solution to suffering is just to keep growing spiritually. The solution to suffering is to allow our faith to be strengthened and to allow our focus to be sharpened and to allow our perspective and our perception, the way that we see the things of life, to exist not from a human standpoint, but from a biblical standpoint. Learn to see things the way that God sees things. Learn to see the big picture instead of just what's going on right here and right now. And let right now be defined and be focused by eternity, by what's to come. Because you see, when we learn to view things from the perspective of eternity, then the pain of now isn't really all that bad after all. First, or Peter will say later in this chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, all the way through chapter 2 and verse number 3, he'll talk about the word of God that we believed and we obeyed, which produced within us the new birth. That's 1 Peter 1, 22, through, through the end of the chapter. But then in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, he talks about that word of God that produced the, the new birth that we believed and obeyed so that we could become Christians he talks about our need to keep going back to that fountain of life. He says in 1 Peter 2, verse number 2, Therefore, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, so that you may grow thereby. And here it is, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. In other words, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That You absolutely know the gracious nature of God. You've tasted that because you've heard the word of God and you've believed it and obeyed it, 1 Peter 1, 22 to 25. So keep going back to it. Keep going back to the Lord. Keep going back to the source of life and blessing it. Why? The reason why is because the more we grow, the stronger our faith becomes, the more we learn about our Lord, the greater our love becomes. The stronger our believing becomes, the greater our rejoicing. Look at verse number 9. We have the reality of suffering, verse number 6. We have the uh, purpose of suffering, verse number 7, or the value of it. We have the solution to suffering, growing, verse number 8. And then we have the end of suffering, 
1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 9. Notice Peter says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Two things here you need to note. I want you to notice with me, first of all, that Peter says in verse number 9, he uses this word end. And the word end is so very important because really the idea is a goal, a destination. It's the point to which this is all leading. So Peter says, if you continue on in your struggle, verse number 6, understanding its value, verse number 7, uh, exercising the solution, verse number 8, then the end of all of that is going to be the goal of this faith that grows. What's the goal of this faith that grows? Salvation, heaven, eternity with God. But then he also, in this verse, uses the word receiving. And the word receiving is important because it's another word that indicates ongoing action. And so in this verse, verse number 9, what you have is a summary of what is basically the entire process of the Christian life. We obey the gospel, we continue to grow, and we continue to mature spiritually. We endure the issues of life, always working toward the goal. And that's glory. That's heaven. That's eternity with our Lord. So the end of suffering... It's that which we need to keep in mind. Because again, when we learn to view things from the perspective of God, when we learn to see life outside of the constraints of time and think about things from an eternal perspective, that changes everything. Now, we started the lesson with this question, and I want to end with it. How much is heaven worth What are you willing to endure to make heaven a reality? What would you be willing to give in order to be in heaven? What would you be willing to suffer in order to be in heaven? I hope that we could all say, heaven is worth everything. There is a song in our songbooks. It says, often I'm hindered on my way, burdened so heavily I almost fall. Then I hear Jesus sweetly say, heaven will be worth it all. Heaven will surely be worth it all, worth all the sorrows that here befall after the life with all, or after, excuse me, life with all its strife. Heaven will surely be worth it all. I don't think that there's anyone, anyone at all in this room, in this building, in this congregation, knowing what we know about how God's word describes the blessings of an eternity with him in heaven, I don't think there's any one of us that would disagree with that sentiment. Heaven will be worth it all. The Bible tells us so. That needs to be motivation for us. It's that thought that we need to keep in our mind on a daily basis while we deal with the struggles and the issues of life, while we suffer for heaven, keeping in, the, keeping in mind the fact that heaven is and will be worth it all, whatever it is. It's only temporary. There's value in suffering. There's a solution to suffering. But thank God there's an end to it as well. And it's the end that we're looking forward to. This morning, are you a child of God? Are you a Christian? If not, why not? The Bible tells us that um, to become a Christian that we need to believe in the deity of Jesus, John 8, verse 24. That we need to repent of our sins, Luke 13 and verse 3, confess our faith. 
Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Acts 2, 38, are you willing, are you willing to do that this morning? Are you a Christian this morning? And as you think about your life, maybe you've lost sight of heaven. Maybe the goal, the, the end game, if you will, is not presently in view. If that's the case, you need to make some changes. Make your life right this morning. If we can help you at all, please come forward and let your need be known while we stand and sing together.